Welcome back to the podcast, Deconstructing Alpha. I am your host, Jeremy Van Arkel with Frontier Asset Management, where I am the Director of Strategies and a Principal and Partner of the firm. Today's guest is going to be Tony Crescenzi, and today's subject is going to be an update on interest rates and inflation. And so for this subject, I could think of no better resource than Tony. Uh, He comes to us from PIMCO. Uh, PIMCO is a $2 trillion AUM uh, asset manager based in Newport Beach, California, who specializes in fixed income management. And who would know more about interest rates and inflation than a firm uh, of that size and caliber that uh, focuses on fixed income management? And so Tony Krasenzi is uh, a strategist at PIMCO, uh, and he is also a portfolio manager. And some of you might remember that we had Tony on the podcast about a year ago. And um, what a year it's been, right? So uh, a year ago, we had rising inflation, very high asset prices. We had a Fed not really doing anything about inflation. Um, and, um, and the, you know, in general, the world looked pretty good if you didn't account for inflation. But um, since then, we've, we've had a, a war in Ukraine. We've had uh, supply side problems. We've had labor shortages. We've had the Fed raising interest rates fairly aggressively. And uh, we've had asset price declines. And so I think it's about time for an update. Um, And um, I think this is going to be timely. I think it's going to be quite packed with information. If we we recall from the last podcast we did with Tony, this is going to be fact-filled with lots of good estimates and outlooks on inflation and interest rates. So before we take a deep dive, um, I want to remind our listeners to stay on the call till or on the podcast till the end of the podcast for compliance notes and disclosures. Um, and with that out of the way, let's get started. Ladies and gentlemen, Tony Krasenzi. Welcome to the podcast, Tony. So glad to have you back. Thank you. Great to be here after a tumultuous year passed, yeah. but uh, we're ready for the year ahead. Yeah. It, last time we spoke, there was uh, almost uh, none of these things occurring that we're experiencing this year. Um, it was just in the beginnings of in, of inflation and the Fed hadn't done anything at that point in time. Um, and right. so I thought this would be a great podcast to do an update on what's happened in the last year with interest rates and the Fed and where we are in that cycle. Is that something you think uh, you might know something about? A a few things we hope, but as you said, uh, a year ago, the the Fed didn't think it would do anything and it did. They're the so-called experts. The Fed itself thought its policy rate would end this year at 1%, uh, actually a shade below, (laughs) as looks like it's headed to 5%. So it it, it shows you that uh, we don't, not everyone has all the answers and all we could do is try to uh, assess the probabilities because that's what an investor has to go on. Yeah. It is incredible how late to the game it felt like the fed was. I mean, it, 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 I think we were at, we were above 6% in inflation before they even raised rates for the first time, which was uh, very late to the game. sounded like. It is. And I think one could say that perhaps the fed, um, was late because it developed a new model. Uh, 
developed this thing called average inflation targeting, a new framework where it said, well, inflation has been low for so long. Well, why don't we let it go above our 2% target uh, for a little while and do nothing about it? Uh, <laughs> it perhaps that was part of it. Um, th- there are other factors like the, the war in Ukraine, of course, uh, and its impact on energy prices, food prices, and the impact of that on the psyche. And because the psyche matters in terms of uh, realized inflation, you know how people feel about it can determine wage setting, price setting, and all of that uh, combined caused this. And so that's part of the reason perhaps the Fed was late to the game. It's pl- been playing catch up with four three quarter point moves. Yeah. So, yeah. So let's talk about let's 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 talk about the um, the actual inflation cycle. So where. Where do you think we are in the inflation cycle here? Um, when I've studied inflation cycles, uh, in the U.S. at least, historically, it appears to me that it looks like from from low inflation to the peak of inflation, those inflation cycles last about three years in timing. So we've gone from uh, 0% uh, interest rates and about 1.5% inflation to um, – four percent uh short-term fed funds rate and now it appears that inflation's tailing off so how do you feel about the inflation cycle where are we in this cycle and um does it all look pretty normal to you or is it very abnormal quick answer is uh it looks like inflation is now peaking uh and next year we'll will keep declining, says disinflation and declining inflation rates. So today, the inflation rate year over year is 7.7%. Uh, taking out food and energy prices, it's 6.3%. Uh, the Fed projection is for that figure to be somewhere in the threes, call it low to mid threes. PIMCO is somewhere in the high threes. So the quick answer is it looks like it's headed downward, but not yet at the, not likely to reach the Fed's 2% target. That's for the PCE, as it's called, the personal consumption deflator. Confusing term, but it's it tends to run a few tenths below the one that's widely reported in on the evening news, the consumer price index. So it, the Fed will fall short, and then uh, we'll have to reassess. But so the, the quick answer is it will decline, but not fall, reach to the two percent target. Uh, and it looks like in the twenty twenties, uh, the trend will probably likely be for. Inflation to be above where it was in the 2010s, which is the wrong analog thinking about inflation and interest rates. But it doesn't mean we'll have high inflation; just may stick around a little bit. So that's a that's an interesting uh, statement you made there. So it sounds to me like inflation uh, should be uh, uh, inflation's sort of tailing off. And when you say it looks like it's going to be around three percent, does that mean a year from now? Yeah, the forward year. 2023, that's the way most forecasters seem to have it. Many realize that there are sticky elements. There's some odd way that the, the government calculates rents. And, and ha- housing is 40% of the CPI, of course, to all of us. Our biggest expense is the, the, the money we put toward our homes or, or our apartments or whatever it is that we live in, our dwellings. And um, in this calculation... They'll, they'll ask a renter uh, or a homeowner uh, what the changes have been. And it takes a bit of time for it to work its way through the system, meaning 
up to a year. So someone that had a rent increase six months ago will report that in that change today because they're part of the pool of people that were quizzed on the matter. Uh, but even so, so that that person quizzed uh, about the figure today might say, "Well, I had a rent increase of ten percent, even though it occurred six months ago." But so, what the Fed will probably do. So, what I'm saying is, that there's a weird, a quirky impact on the rental component, which is a giant part of CPI that'll take time to work its way through the system as people uh, quizzed about their their uh, rent changes. Uh, takes them time to to report it, but the the new information is that new leases being signed, uh, those prices have simmered down a lot. People look at Zillow and things of that sort to try to figure out the, the game plan in terms of their forecasts for that component, and it looks it, it looks like it's simmering down a great deal, and that's why we could look forward to uh, better numbers nine months from now, six months. Yeah, uh, in terms of the housing impact. So, so it it there are components to inflation that are sticky or lagging, and then there are faster moving components. Um, it is to me, um, uh, at least when I looked at the seventies, it's amazing how quickly inflation can fall once it starts falling. Yeah, mainly because uh, think about productivity. So how more productive we are each year and. The amount of humans that exist to make things uh, and machines, we we gain an ability to to increase output by about one and a half percent more per year, one and a half to two percent. And if there's more output in a year because there's more people and faster, better ability to um, produce from machines, computers, roads, whatever it is, um, that supply uh, is met by a drop or weakness in demand and balances things out because what we had after the pandemic was an excess of demand we couldn't keep up with all of it because we saw lots of money distributed in the post-pandemic response and uh that money got spent too quickly uh, from an inflation perspective and so that's what why next year it'll probably simmer down so it can begin to drop simply because the demand levels are being kept down by the fed's rate increases and um, allow those who produce goods and services to catch up, and that's that's what seems to be underway right now. So, so yeah, so this infl- inflation thing has two sides to it: so it's got demand and supply, and it does feel like both demand uh, was increased with all the stimulus and people staying at home and people uh, adjusting their the way they spend money suddenly, and then. On the supply side, we definitely had supply shortages of workers and COVID shutdowns and transportation networks and all this stuff. So to me, the Fed is pouring water on demand. So to, uh, and, but the supply side just sort of needs time. Right. Right. And the Fed can't fix COVID shutdowns. (laughs) Right. That's right. Yeah. And uh, on the supply side, though, there is, in terms of, why we would think one should potentially think um believe this argument that the inflation rate will be higher this decade than last on the supply side there's the labor story which is the the major component of the inflation picture because uh wages determine most costs to business businesses um labor supply will 
has is very low relative to demand. There's a figure called JOLTS, Job Opening and Labor Turnover Survey. Uh, it shows that job openings are around 11 million people, but the numbers of unemployed is around 6 million. So there's an excess of demand for workers relative to the supply. And it looks like it, it could persist for some time because of a major demographic event. Uh, this year should be the biggest uh, year for retirements in history because 1957 was the biggest birth year uh, last century. So that's 65 years ago. Uh, fast forward to now, then you see those individuals uh, just, uh, retiring in droves. Uh, the number of people turning 65 right now is 360,000 per month. It's massive. Um, and the wave lasts till the end of 2029 when the last baby boomer born in 1964 turns 65. And so this will limit the amount of labor that's available to companies to produce goods and services, making it hard for them to do so and therefore limiting their ability to keep up with demand and their need. And it also increases their desire to increase wages, which had been growing 3% pre-pandemic, uh, rose to 5% plus. Who knows? Maybe it'll trend 4% instead. So that added cost will get passed on to us consumers. Right. So on the to summarize on the path of where we are in this inflation cycle it does appear that inflation is falling there are some lag numbers in there that are more longer term but a good target for 2023 or a generally accepted target for 2023 of where inflation is going to be approximately 3% does that sound about right yeah in the in the threes and but so thematically we have a declining inflation rate so from sevens and sixes to meaning for the headline and the core rate which is your headline rate minus inflation i'm sorry headline rate minus food and energy um some figures of the sevens and sixes into the threes and who knows maybe four but thematically it's so it's down but it's still not there so to yeah. speak with respect to the target so you have to ask your, yourself a question will the what i call the powell press continue will powell the fed chair keep pressing to get the inflation rate down by raising interest rates more and more and more uh in causing more pain in the stock market the credit markets the interest rate markets and the economy will he keep pressing our, our yeah. view is it won't they'll stop they'll be happy with it getting into that zone but getting it to two percent uh you may have to engage in what greenspan did uh, it's called opportunistic disinflation. Simply wait for some good luck, and then lock it in. So the so that so so if we get to three or three and a half a year from now on inflation, that's still higher than the Fed's two percent. And it doesn't. You, you're you, to me what you're saying uh, with the sort of almost permanent shift in jobs and and also the the higher a greater tendency to pay people more um <clears throat> that that will keep inflation higher for longer now it doesn't mean out of control inflation but that three right. that the fed needs to adjust their target is that kind of what you're saying that two is yeah, no longer they'll number. do that but they there'll be a um a question over what the fed does next so it may pause at some point in 2023 on the idea that, well, we've achieved some success here, cut the inflation rate in half. 
into the threes, um, but it's still not good enough. So what do we do now? Plus, the Fed will be facing, uh, Jeremy, other factors that uh, could affect the inflation rate in the long run. They're called resilience efforts. And, and here, investors simply need uh, vision, think through a, a national security lens. Uh, imagine uh, nations of Europe. Uh, their resilience efforts will include increased spending, increased spending on defense, increased spending in the brown to green energy transition as they try to get away from foreign oil, um, and also companies having experienced challenges in the so-called supply chain will decide, well, we, we better do something about that and invest more. And then there's also the health security issue. So there'll be efforts, uh, monies that are spending seen as imperative it's an imperative for germany for example to spend to um to wean itself off uh, foreign oil to natural gas it's an imperative so the money will get spent uh it it will uh, drain what's called the global saving glut which is the excess money that sits in the global financial system that had been pushing down interest rates instead of get pulled out uh, instead of going into savings, it gets it's spent, and that could feed inflation. So it's so it's, that's got more to worry about than just labor supply. It's also this extra spending that's occurring globally on resilience efforts. And uh, one final point, real quick, is that think about it. I mentioned boomers; they were the ones that experienced inflation in the '70s and early '80s. Uh, now other generations have experienced inflation x millennials and z so the fed has to convince uh, new legions of people that the inflation rate will stay down that was the problem that paul volcker fed chair from 1979 the problem he faced after 15 years of high inflation he had to really go sky high with interest rates to convince the public the fed was serious the effort would be smaller this time it's two-year problems but they can't let up they have to do what powell said and keep at it it's the title of a Volcker book, keeping at it, uh, just to to ensure that this, this yeah. the, the it doesn't get into people's heads too much. So I I, I think you're a lot of, that resonates very well with me, and that's a really good perspective. Like it's it's a perspective I kind of haven't heard in that in that the the two percent target the Fed is targeting may be off for a long time, and it, maybe it's more like three or three and a half. Because of the labor market and because of this sort of structural spending, structural spending on defense and onshoring and changing the way inventories work. Uh, It's a sacrifice of of efficiency for uh, resilience, you could say. The companies and nations need resilience, and that could be uh, sacrificed, the the efficiency that would, would otherwise lead to lower inflation rates and the challenge at three percent inflation is again that to convince people it will stay down so what if the fed lets up and the markets are priced based on various instruments we could look at and observe for the fed to cut the policy rate uh half point next year after bringing it to five percent so back down to four and a half uh to cut interest rates but with inflation at three does it want to take the chance it won't snap back to four again or five and then the public suddenly like in the 70s and even the mid 60s starts to say i don't believe this. i'm not 
so uh, happy about the Fed's actions. I, I don't believe inflation will stay down. And then it suddenly feeds on itself again. Yeah, and that's what happened in the 70s. You had three waves of inflation. In the 60s as well. As an example, I sometimes forget. Uh, but the early 60s, 1.5% inflation till, till like 1964. And then suddenly it moved up. The Fed pushed its policy rate to, to 6 It let up because it looked like inflation was letting up. And so cut rates down to four, I think it was. And then it had to double it to nine by the end of the 60s because they cut rates too too quickly. Yeah. Yeah. That's that. It is amazing how persistent this problem is. You know, even though the factors, you know, uh, that some of the factors or a lot of the factors that are driving inflation uh, on the demand side, maybe this sort of stimulus and money supply. And on the supply side, we've got COVID and supply chain interruptions. And, and you know, I guess the war is la- going to last. The war in Ukraine is going to last longer than people probably want it to. Uh, but it, yeah. it appears that a lot of those things are temporary and that they should just kind of fade. And I think that's a, a that's probably the hope. And that's why we they're probably still hoping that if they adjust interest rates pretty aggressively, quickly, they could tamper this and push, get inflation back to normal. Yeah. But, but the minute you let off the gas... It's back, right? It could be back. And so that's why the so Chair Powell in August in a major speech said there's three lessons of history. One is to take responsibility. They can't say, as you mentioned, those factors that seem temporary, that the Fed was calling transitory. They can't say, well, it's because of this, it's because of that. We have no, we can't impact it. This is what um, the one Fed chair said uh, 1979, uh, G. William Miller, two months after he left office at a speech in Belgrade, IMF meeting, and Chair Volcker was there. He said, well, the Fed's impotent. Can't do anything about this rise in inflation, the inflation rate because it's all due to the oil embargo. It ticked uh, Volcker off and he went back home because commodity prices were rising. He thought he had better do something about that because uh, there was a worry about his own um, uh, keeping at it <laughs> attitude. And so the Fed has to take responsibility for one. Secondly, pay attention to how people feel about inflation, inflation expectations. So the Fed will watch in 2023, the surveys, not just the market, the market's confident. And you see this in the various gauges, the Fed, uh, the expectation on is that the Fed will bring the inflation rate down to the low twos eventually. Uh, and then the, the third uh, thing is, um, to keep at it again that's a, a paraphrase from powell a book titled for volcker to to not let up you know there's so many things in life as we understand you can't let up you've got to be persistent yeah and you know if it's a fire keep putting water on it you can think of a lot of analogies you just got to, can't take any chances and that's what we should expect next year that's um, that's one thing jeremy real quick if they do the opposite and decide to not keep at it, like in the 60s and 70s, that's where the, again, the lessons of history, that's where it could have a worse outcome than being uh, so tough. This is tough love is the way to think of it. So we're gone for, we're, so so let's get to the Fed. So we've gone 4% in nine months. Uh, that's the Fed funds rate changes from the, the, where the policy setting now is 375 to four, right? And in nine months, that seems steep. It seems certainly steep in an historical perspective how quickly they've raised rates. Um, and then in theory, the rates take about, what, a, a nine months to a year to really take hold in the economy? Yeah, yeah and, and arguably in various studies in 18 months. But 
we, here's one area where it's happened fast. Uh, uh, mortgage rates, everyone knows um, that it's gone up a lot this year. It reached 7% at one point. That has uh, had a big impact on housing very fast. The, the yeah. housing market sales are down 30%. And yeah. refis are zero, practically. Yeah, so there's this lag effect, and we're already at four, and we don't know what zero to four. And 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 so maybe you can comment on this. So a lot of research says it's not how high you raise rates; it's how uh, far you've raised them from where they were. <laughs> right? Yeah. Is that correct? And so we go from zero to four. That's a big move, right? Yeah, and the, the way to there's a simple way to think about it. It's in terms of the real interest rate, meaning. If it's four, where's the future inflation rate? If the market thinks it's three um, and the market actually thinks it's going to be low twos, well, let's suppose the market's wrong and it's going to be what consumers think, by judging by surveys, is three. So that means the real rate, four minus three, is 1%. Now, in throughout history, it's taken more than a 1% real rate, for whatever reason, uh, to get the job done. So in the, in the 60s, I mentioned that the Fed had to move the rate to eventually to 9% because the inflation rate had moved up to 6 So it had a three-point real rate, and that got the job done. But then in the 70s, they kind of forgot all about all that because we hadn't had a lot of periods of inflation. It was just new, so they didn't have lessons of history. From 1975 to 79, it was a zero or negative real rate. In other words, the, the, the chairs, Burns and Miller, kept making what's seen as mistakes now. They kept saying, oh, inflation rate's down, let's push rates down. They, but Volcker knew otherwise. He pushed the, the real rate to five points. So three in the 60s got it done. Volcker put it at five and kept it there a few years and it got the job done. Now, typically it's about roughly two to three. So if the Fed's going to move to a 5% policy rate, which is the expectation, inflation's at three, that's two points. It seems like maybe it's not enough. We have high inflation. But there's another thing to add to it, uh, this thing called quantitative tightening, where the Fed's been selling, letting, I shouldn't say selling, but it's letting, reducing the amount of holdings it has in mortgages, mortgage securities, and treasuries. It has uh, impact that's, that makes that 5% policy rate more like 6 there's a long math equation for that, but each trillion dollar reduction of the Fed's so-called balance sheet, meaning reduction in its holding of, of securities, has a, an impact that's almost like raising the policy rate a quarter point. And it's going to do that a tr three years in a row, a trillion dollars. So it's roughly about a percentage point of of impact equivalent uh, to a Fed funds rate change. So 5% uh, official rate, which is what will get reported in the media, will be more like six because quantitative tightening is the real deal. I mean, look at mortgage rates and the damage to housing. So you can't exclude, or what, I should put it differently, you, you should include, it, include the impact of quantitative tightening in your analysis of how high the Fed need go to get the job done. So five plus one for that QT thing is six minus the future inflation rate of three or lower, and that seems like a pretty good real interest rate. Final thing, really fast, there are two other Fs, as I call it, three Fs of tightening that get the job done. The Fed, with that equation I gave, the three-point real rate coming, and then fiscal, big trillion-dollar reduction spending post-pandemic the past year hasn't worked its way through the system because a lot of the stimulus still is, 
but spending fell to 5.8 trillion according to the CBO. And third, tightening of financial conditions, the drop in uh, portfolios in the past year hurts us and hurts spending. Combined, it seems like enough. Uh, so that's the bet. Like, uh, the only mistake would be the Fed lets up. And that's, I mean, the way things go wrong is where if the Fed lets up. So that path for the Fed, what it sounds like to me, is the the expected ending policy rate for the Fed of approximately 5% sounds about right because that would account for having the Fed funds rate 3% real above an ending 3% inflation rate if you count the QT. Right. And so five does sound like a realistic endpoint for Fed policy rate. And yes. that, but then but then the key would be that it uh, historically once you hit this peak Fed funds rate, the markets, quote unquote, the markets or investors think the Fed's overdone it and the Fed is quick to lower. And that might not be the case this time. Is that what you're implying? Yeah, and so the that half point cut may not happen, but the markets don't know it like a spoonful of medicine. Yeah, uh, just gonna it's it's probably what's needed, and the markets will be happy that the inflation rate has declined as a result of the Fed's steadfastness. Yeah, and they still have QT to play with, right? So they they could stay at five and and then just you know be less aggressive on QT, and people wouldn't see that. Yeah. But that's possible. Yeah, yeah. as well. Okay. All right. Wow. There's a lot of data in there. And I'm going to do a data summary here at the end. I've been making a lot of notes and we'll see if we get it all right. We'll see if we can boil all this thing down to a few numbers. Um, But before we get to that, so all of this, so Fed, fiscal, financial conditions, the three Fs uh, of fighting inflation, um, all of this, you know, uh, sounds like uh, in the real economy, the physical economy we all live in, that we should be expecting a slowdown. And and clearly, you know, I had to write an article to basically uh, express my frustration with everybody saying the recession, the recession, 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 right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's, it's definitely an overused word and everybody- Recession obsession. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. recession obsession. There you go. It's definitely an overused word. And, uh, and you, you know, you, you probably have these certain things you get tired of talking about. And but it does appear that a slowdown's coming, right? It's like uh, it's like Game of Thrones, like winter's coming, right? And we all see it. Um, but it's incredible. First, I'll start with it's incredible how strong the economy has been, right? Like GDP now is expecting four point two percent expected GDP growth in the fourth quarter for the for the annual rate. Four point two, that's pretty good, right? Um, and so no recession yet. So what how would you uh respond to the all of this sounds like tightening it sounds like we're going to have a bad economy and but we've been saying this for about a year now and there's been unbelievable resilience in the economy. As you mentioned there are lags so there're individuals that and households that will see their mortgage rates rise when that adjustable rate mortgage comes due. Right. Uh, so that impact hasn't been fully felt, nor has the impact of reduction in spending on investments within companies. They may decide, well, we're not making as much as before, so maybe we cut back. And you're seeing a lot of announcements of layoffs. It takes time. But the good news is that this, the initial conditions, meaning ex- excess of 
demand versus supply of labor and other things means there's a better chance than usual for so-called soft landing. A soft landing is, is where uh, GDP is above zero, but below potential, which grows potential. How fast we can grow is 1.8% because of the people tend to be one and a half percent more productive per year and there's 0.3% more humans making things. So that's right. how we get to 1.8. So it's a wide runway in that sense. But the, the obsession uh, that bothers me as an investor is over whether or not there'll be one rather than on what it would look like based on the strength you mentioned. And there are numerous areas I'll rattle off quickly that 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 should lead one to think that if there is this recession, it's not going to be a deep recession, more than likely. Number one, the household sector. In looking today at the Dow and the, the NASDAQ, these are about 50%. <laughs> the S&P 500 in five years. So the household net worth, because of that and home prices still being up from five years ago, household net worth is, is up 40% to $140 trillion. $40 trillion increase in five years seems like a lot of money. That's number one helping. Sec- secondly, saving deposit balances for households was significant because we didn't spend money during the pandemic. We were stuck uh, at home, et cetera. And there were checks distributed that that helped. Uh, it's another factor. And third, li- household liabilities are low. The loan to value ratio on their homes is a forty year low of about forty percent, uh, meaning we don't have as much debt as we used to. So, ha- and then finally, I should say, the household sector has that jolts thing I mentioned. Lots of job openings working in people's favor and helping to boost wages. And on that front. Think of Social Security payments up 8.6% this year, uh, began last month. Uh, if inflation falls to three, that's a high real wage gain and which will support spending. Second area, and I'll go quickly on these others, the banking sector, extremely strong. It matters because banks print money from the money the Fed puts in the system. Only banks can create new money supplied from reserves, as they're called. And they are in sound shape. All stress tests uh, by central banks prove that. And it matters to innovators, inventors, creditworthy borrowers. Money will keep flowing, keep the game going. Uh, and it doesn't always, it's not always the case. It's as strong as they've been in going into recession in quite some time, if ever. And third, the imperatives I mentioned, spending that will occur on the energy transition, defense, they're going to happen. Nothing will stop it because it just it's, it's it's a security issue here, resilience efforts and that sort of thing. And final final thing is think about two sectors: uh, housing and autos. Inventories are lean in these sectors that are interest rate sensitive. Uh, home inventories are three point two months of supply, meaning uh, how much how long would it take to get rid of the homes that are up. On the, on the MLS listings, and 3.2 months, and normal figures six, and, and this is despite a massive drop in sales. So there's very lean inventories due to underbuilding for a decade, and then um, on automobiles, 20 somewhat days of supply. It's normally 60. No wonder people sold home, cars above the residual values. So, so that's that means the, the recession can't be that deep there. And so, so and there's numerous other things that would make you say. Recession, well, we don't want to say bring it on, but it's, it's not likely to be deep. It's 
that's the conclusion I've kind of come to is that when I, uh, I turn on the TV and I hear the dire outlooks of people and, um, and all the bad scenarios and all the holes we can fall in. Right. And, but when you just look at the data, everything looks very strong. Yeah. And don't think people are remarkably uh, have a remarkable ability to adapt in all kinds of stressful situations throughout history. And the progress of humankind is unfettered. And so we can't overly worry about the things. So there's the expression, as you mentioned, winter's coming, but as long-term investors should be thinking, well, so is spring. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so don't worry so much about these well, um, stock times related to the weather and high energy. Costs. And maybe that's why, uh, you know, maybe that's why corporate bonds are down, you know, 12 to 15, 15% and yields are up. And maybe that's why the stock market's down 20 to 30%. Uh, and earnings yields are up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe. Maybe it is the that what everybody's afraid of is instantly priced, and then after the fact, the thing they were afraid of isn't as bad as they thought. So they're going to buy the fact. That's all yeah. Tends yeah. All right. Let's. Let, okay, you ready to play my summary game here? Yeah. Let's see if I can get this right. Should I just tell you the numbers and you tell me what they are? Like I'll, <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you the you number like, and then you say I'll what try. it is. All right. Yeah. Let's try this. So let's start with three uh, percent. What did we say 3% was? The, Approximately. The, the inflation in the zone of where inflation's likely yeah. headed. Okay, pretty good. So likely headed to 3% somewhere out into the future and and likely not 2%, right? Not not likely. Um, yeah. it, 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 it's possible, but take an opportunity to get there. So then 5% would be the, what is the 5%? Fed funds rate. I mean, where the Fed takes yeah. its current three and a quarter, three and three quarters for policy rate, probably around right. five. And then what does QT do to that? Yeah, the point. So it's really like six. I think of housing when I say that because quantitative tightening has real impact on the economy. And so it's it reduces the amount of workload on the federal funds rate. Yeah. So then that that puts two to three. So this is the final point would be two to three. So it's two to on three. The, right. On the real rate, the, the yeah. funds equivalent six minus the future inflation rate is three. Yeah. And I didn't mention relative to the cycles of the past 40 years, it's um, pretty high. It's about double. Yeah. And, and I noticed when I looked at inflation versus the Fed funds rate, that the Fed really does have to put the Fed funds rate above inflation, but they don't have to start with the Fed funds rate above inflation. Um, right. But they have to meet in the middle somewhere, and the, the Fed funds rate has got to end up above inflation to actually have a meaningful impact. That's what um, history shows. Yeah. Well, that was fun. I think you got 100 on the little quiz on the end there. I think the <laughs> last <laughs> the last theme that, <laughs> the last theme here that I think was just really almost thematic for the it sums this whole thing up um is keep at it. You can't let up. Which is the idea that I think a lot of these things that we just mentioned there are probably estimates that have been discussed before, but that you can't let up implies that if the Fed gets to 5% Fed funds rate, they're probably not going to quickly about face and go back down. That's correct. Um, unless it's um, going to uh, want to revert to make mistakes, uh, what, what would be deemed as a mistake. Um, 
It's not the sort of thing the Fed uh, is likely to do. It's really devoted to its mission, filled with a lot of great people with a lot of knowledge. Yeah. And I, I, I appreciate you saying that because, you know, I've said this multiple times this year. I mean, people like to knock the Fed, but they're a pretty smart organization. <laughs> right? Several hundred PhDs. In fact. Yeah, they know they, they definitely are doing their homework. They don't probably don't always know exactly how the world's going to unfold, but they're definitely doing their homework. Okay. That's for sure. So my final question, any thoughts that you might have? Is there anything we missed or is there anything you came into this call saying, I really like to talk about this, but I didn't even give you a chance? Oh, just quickly. I mean, in terms of yield levels, there's a thing called the Bloomberg aggregate, sort of like the S&P 500 of bonds. It puts together lots of different types of bonds, treasuries and mortgages and corporate bonds and it's yielding close to five percent and relative to history that's not bad and it was at one percent at the lows um so we think that's reasonably good and an investor today in high quality bonds can earn yields we think in six six and a half percent zone and starting yield is the major determinant of future returns and so hang on um these are seem pretty attractive yields to us yeah Absolutely. And, and this, you know, I would argue the same thing is going on in the stock market. If you, if yield is your future determinant of expected returns for fixed income and those yields are high, uh, the earnings yield possibly could be related to future expected returns of equities. And it appears that earnings yields are high. And, and so, um, hopefully, uh, regardless of what's going on in the physical world and all these things we like to talk about, that the actual capital markets pricing is laying up that we have uh, a, a bit of an opportunity here. It, it is. And, uh, you know, I, what someone once said, uh, you make your fortunes while markets are down. It certainly doesn't seem to be the case when markets are up, although it's possible. But um, lower prices, repricing can be a good thing and volatility can be a good thing for an investor with a long-term mindset. And so maintaining a long-term orientation now is vital and and trying to get out of the funk of negativity because it's bearish sentiment that tends to precede better times. And if I had one quick thing, um, after a midterm election, all of them since 1982, uh, both the S&P 500 and the major bond index uh, was up a year later. Not that it's to tell us uh, how things are a year from now, but just another thing that might be in favor of these markets. I... I uh... I don't want to even add any to that. I don't want to even add anything to that last statement you just made, which is a positive statement, right? It's it's yeah. it's very easy in a time of negativity to just go negative and go down the holes. But 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 we all have to stay positive. This is a long term uh, uh, investing is long term, and yeah. as you said, these moments are moments to really add value. Yeah. Well, um, let's end on that positive note. So, Tony, again, thank you so much for being on this podcast. Thank you so much for, for um, sort of letting the script go where it goes. This was um, this was uh, nicely unscripted, I think, and I think we got to some really great conclusions. Yeah. Um, Should we? uh, You know, I don't want to wait a year to have you back, (laughs) but I wonder if a year from now everything will look totally different again. (laughs) And it could. Yeah, uh, as we know, let's see. Uh, it's the fun of market, like a game, watching a game. You 
just every day is uh, like one. Um, you never know what the outcome is going to be. So that's yeah. what makes it intriguing. All right. Thank you so much again for your time. Thanks again, Jeremy. Yep. Have Take a good care. one. Happy holidays. Take yep, care. You too. Bye. This podcast is for informational purposes only. The information does not constitute advice or a recommendation of any specific investment, mutual fund, or mutual fund company. Before making any investment, you should carefully seek independent legal, tax, and regulatory advice. In particular, you should seek the advice of a licensed financial advisor regarding the suitability of the investment product, taking into account your specific investment objectives, financial situation, any particular needs, and your ability to assume the risk and fees involved before investing. This podcast and presentation are for informational purposes only. Frontier assumes no liability for any action taken in response to listening to this podcast. Frontier Asset Management is not affiliated with any specific fund company. The views and opinions expressed by each speaker are their own as of the date of the recording. Any such views are subject to change at any time based upon market and other conditions and Frontier disclaims any responsibility to update such views.